Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, look, we've got a great lineup for you today. You know, here's the thing, Benny. Let me say hi to Benny first. Howdy. Hi to Benny. Yep, hi yep. to Benny. Mm-hmm. H- how you be? Benny? I'd be good. I was just going to have you just jump right into what you're getting into. Yeah, just be getting into it right away. Um, so look, uh, kind, of, kind of funny, right? couple of things. One of them is that I was really struck by, you know, the reference on television to the Bronx yesterday because that's where I'm from. But here's what I want to tell you about that. You know, growing up in a place like that, Many of us as kids, we looked for fantasy outside of what is the normal area of the place we live. Comic books, stories, right? Didn't get a lot of reading done when I was a kid, but definitely a lot of comic books, fantasy, engagement into that which was fabulous to play with, imagination. But one of the things I loved as I as I grew up was that didn't change. And so doing what I do in the world today, I get to speak with some of the most interesting people that take a journey and take things from their pathway, their lives, and create adventures for us. That's what today's show is about, the lost book of the Grail, the sevenfold path of the Grail, and the restoration of the fairy accord. Now, look, this book for today and the people I'm about to introduce you to, this is a book about a journey. But it's interesting when we talk about a journey. And it's interesting when I thought back at how many radio, television shows, blockbuster movies, number one off the charts were about the grail. That's right. They were about the grail. You know, today joining me here, the authors of the book, and, you know, for many people out there, you might want to know this, um, it, it is, this is beyond a journey. So we're going to talk about the book, we're going to talk about the grail, but we're going to talk about what it means to engage, to reveal, to look at long forgotten things, to think about the mythos, to think about how we resonate in the world we live in today, vibrationally and otherwise. And so that's why for today's show, we are talking with uh, Kathleen and John Matthews, right, for today's show. Uh, But the bottom line is, what is it about this? What is it about this story? What is it about the way we live today where we can connect the dots between adventures of old and adventures of new? Welcome to both of you. Great to have you here. Hi there. Hello. Uh, Kathleen, did I say your name right? They gave me a str- an interesting pronunciation of your name. Yes, I would have. Pronunciation. It's Kathleen. Yes. Kathleen. Okay, good. Um, 
look, I want to start out with a question that has very little to do with the book. You are clearly recognized uh, authorities, let's just say, but let's say you're recognized persons when it comes to looking at myths, Celtic, when it comes to looking at, you know, Arthur, uh, uh, Arthurian tradition, right? You know, here's my question for each of you. My comment about those worlds, right? Whether we're talking about the complete King Arthur, it doesn't matter what we're talking about, all of the books you've written. Those worlds that you've written about, that you've journeyed into, can we connect the dots between those adventures and the world we live in today? Kathleen, you want to go first? Oh, most certainly, yes. Um, I believe that myth is the most important and connective thing that we have just about, because although we live in a world that says, that defines myth as being an untruth or something that's a little bit dodgy and contradictory. Um, the real meaning of myth, of course, is a story that is always and universally true. And um, it was the philosopher Celestius, I think, who said um, <clears throat> that, um, you know, that, the, that, that myth is something that has never happened and is happening all the time which I think is a very profound statement because wherever we look at any um, myth of whatever tradition, um, wherever we look in the world, we can turn on the news. I, I did this the other day. I was just literally coming uh, away from having been doing the audio book of, of this book um, in a studio and I had been reading about the wasteland um, to everyone. And I turned on the radio and there, right away, there was a broadcast from Chennai in India about the terrible drought they're having and how the people there have to have um, great big lorries of water brought in. Otherwise, they, they, they cannot do anything because they have no water. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but when we think about this, too, and, you know, uh, we're, we're looking at at least let me just comment about this country for a moment. We are completely, completely, John, completely fascinated, uh, enthralled, obsessed with the fantasy of the fantasy. So let me tell you what I mean. Any movie that gets made, either in the United States or any other country, that has to do with heroes, villains, situations, uh, blockbuster, blockbuster, blockbuster. Right now, Avengers Endgame is being re-released to improve gross revenue to beat Avatar. But see, even looking at Avatar, look at what we're creating in modern times that has such a connection to what you're writing in the books. What do you think of that? Well, absolutely. For for me, I mean, I draw very much on the, those kind of traditions. Also, I mean, I'm I'm fascinated, obviously, with the very old, the very early stories of Arthur and the Grail and other heroes. Um, but I'm also fascinated in the way they get reinterpreted. So, with the Avengers movie, for instance, I see that now people are starting to write theses on the background to this modern myth. Yeah. But I think it only exists because of the old myths. You know. When you get the, the new modern movies about King Arthur, I worked on the one with Jerry Bruckheimer a few years ago, 
um, there was always this great interest in getting it right historically when possible, but also about staying faithful to the myth, to the story itself. And when people do that, it's always very powerful. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I wanted to start out with this, because, um, uh, you, you know, I'm around 11-year-old, 12-year-old, people of all ages, right? And one of the things that I find is a common fascination with the story. And I want to talk with you about this uh, because there's an article that was that was created, uh, oh, not too long ago. And they were talking about this venue of podcasting, which is a digital version of radio, right? We've been doing it actually for 15 years. And about a year ago, a PR firm labeled us as the Disney of podcasting. <laughs> and and I, I turned to Jessica and I said, do you think that may be a compliment? Do you think, is that a compliment? And, and then I read your book and here's what I'm fascinated by. We do love our stories, Kathleen. Don't we love our stories? Oh, and absolutely do. Radio had to change. I'm not, I'm not a radio person. I didn't start this. I didn't go to radio school. I had a mission, but what is the power what is the power of storytelling and the storyteller? Because I was really struck by the storyteller and the seven cloaks of the story. What is the power of that in our modern day and age? I think that the story is what we crave very deeply. Um, and whether we turn on television or we open a book or wherever it is we look for our stories, we want good stories. We want satisfying stories. And, and you can see throughout the world, I mean, you saw it really recently with Game of Thrones when the story mm. was coming to its end. And the fans just, just went absolutely ballistic because the story was not unfolding in unexpected or even a way that was perhaps true to the characters that they'd grown to love. Uh, and so there was this terrible sense of betrayal. Uh, and I think this happens a lot. I know myself when I go to the cinema uh, and sometimes to the theatre that if the story is not well treated, if, if it's not given respect, if the story is not allowed to speak for itself um, and someone has come in to sort of um, jig around with it and, and, and make it relevant um, in inverted commas, uh, which often happens to, say, William Shakespeare on stage, um, <laughs> You just wish, no, um, the Tempest really does not need to be set in the Antarctic. You know, it's not, <laughs> it, it, it's not what we need to have happen. We, we want to feel that we're in a desert island somewhere in a warm place. Um, and we feel betrayed if we don't get that because, you know, none of the story makes sense if the setting is wrong. And this is what Aristotle talked about. He talked about the unities. He said, we want a unity of time and place and character. Um, people get very betrayed if you play with that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, they do. Boy, don't even get me started on Game of Thrones, right? Um, I am. So here's my theory about Game of Thrones. Now, I don't think this is going to happen, but this is my gear theory. The entire end of Game of Thrones was, let's just call it changed. Uh, my friend uses the word manipulated, because if you look at it, each and every character, including the Dragon Queen, has the potential for a sequel. That's what I find is so interesting. It's like, yep, we better make sure we really don't close all those doors. But yet here we are, and we're talking about the lost book and the lost book of the grail. 
I, I want to ask you, what is our fascination with the grail? I think because, uh, if I can, can take a shot yes. at this, um, yeah. I think it's because um, it, it's always been very enigmatic and it can mean so many different things. I mean, I've personally seen five or six objects around the world that have been said and described to me as being the grail. And I always say when I've looked at them or when I've been in their presence, no, this isn't the grail. It's a grail because the grail can be so many things. It can be a different thing to everyone. If you're a Christian, it's the holy grail. If you're a pagan, it's a great cauldron, perhaps. Uh, you know, other people believe it's a book or a stone. I mean, it doesn't have one form. So it fits for most people. And what it really seems to be is like a way of communicating with beings, with gods, with goddesses, whatever you believe in. It's a, it's a doorway to those things. Um, in the book, and let's talk about the book, The Lost Book of the, of the Grail. Um, we can certainly talk about the Grail, but I wanted to ask you this question. You know, the story of the Grail and bringing this to the forefront today, right, is so very important at a lot of levels. You know, people think about this and they think about, you know, legends of medieval grail. They think about, you know, partition relics. Of course, you know, for an early part of my life, I grew up Catholic. I'm very familiar, right, with certain things. But the question is this, you know, the story of the grail and the way you have presented it in the book has a multifaceted I'd say energy to it. Mm. I'd love for you to describe that. Well, the particular story that we look at in the Lost Book of the Grail is uh, a 13th century text called The Elucidation, which is a very short poem. It's only 484 lines. <clears throat> but in it, it presents uh, two appearances of the Grail, one of them at a very early level of understanding, at the mythic level, if we like, because even in this story, there's a myth that informs it. Um, and that story tells us about a cup which is offered to wayfarers in a time which is long, long, long time before King Arthur. So we are going early myth here. Um, and this, this cup is given as a cup of hospitality to anyone who's a wayfarer or a traveler on the ways who is feeling thirsty or hungry. Um, and so they can stop and they can go to one of the wells, which are throughout the kingdom, <clears throat> and out of it will come fairy women who will feed them and give them drink. And this is a freely offered service, which happens at this very deeply mythic level. And because um, a horrible king called Amangons comes along with his men and they abuse the hospitality of the wells. They rape the maidens of the wells and they take away their hospitable cups for themselves, for their own use. And from that point onwards, the land becomes a wasteland so that there is no tree leafy, the waters dry up. And as it says in the text, the kingdom isn't worth more than a couple of hazelnuts. So we have that early level of the grail. And then there comes a time along when King Arthur hears of this story and his knights and Arthur are appalled because they want to rush out and they want to avenge those that were done wrong. 
um, and they want to restore the service of the well so that everyone can have um, this wonderful hospitality once again. But wherever they look, they can't find anything. Hmm. Uh, and it's while they're searching that they, they find a group of people wandering in the woods, uh, knights and maidens, and they capture one of them and they bring one of them back, um, who is a storyteller. And he says to them, well, um, we, we who are wandering together in the woods, we are the descendants of the maidens of the wells and of the knights who raped them. And then, of course, you know, immediately they realize they cannot fulfill their oath because to kill the descendants of the Mangons would also be to kill the descendants of the maidens of the wells. So they're in a catch-22. Mm. And that's when they they say, well, you know, how can things be made right again? And the company who are wandering say, the the only thing that you can do for us is that you must go and seek for the courts of joy. And when the courts of joy are found, everything will be okay. So that's kind of one level of the grail. Well, isn't it interesting about the theme of this? And, you know, let's talk about the theme of this. You know, what I loved growing up, uh, and, and, you know, my story is a true one. I grew up basically going through high school and pretty much not being able to read and write. And that is the case of many people, right, that do that, especially if you grow up in, you know, the community I grew up in, the Bronx, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had a lot of things going on. But the one thing I could do, and this is, again, the fascination we have now with the digital world, is comic books and the fascination with comic books. Um, The question that I I want to ask you, because you reference many things in this book, one of them is Star Trek. Um, Are we on an ever-ending or everlasting journey to bring the story, as different as it may seem to people, right, of these medieval grail myths, right, into the world. Because there's an energetic connection, I believe, even if we don't quite understand, right, even if we don't quite have a, what's the word I'm looking for, an intellectual perspective, we get that stuff going on inside. Isn't that the case with what you've presented in the book? it really touches something inside of people that perhaps they cannot explain. Do you see what I mean? Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, couldn't agree more. I mean, the point is that, you know, the, the journey, as you call it, is the quest. This is what, the, this is what all those stories, those, those medieval stories are about. Everything is about looking for the grail, and it's always just out of sight. It's always just behind the tree, over the hill, under the water, wherever it is, it's hiding. And it's only in that that accomplishment that some kind of closure, some kind of uh, new beginning is brought about. And I think that because so few of the characters in the stories actually do achieve it, it makes it seem even more inaccessible. And I think there's something in us as humans that can't stand things being inaccessible. We want to find the truth. We want to find and understand what it's about. And I think that is what gets people, you know, reading and listening and watching for these things. 
Well, I, I want to do two things here. First, Benny, why don't we give a copy of the book away? We've got three copies of this. I love the book, by the way. I have three copies of the book to give away. And while we continue, we'll just skip this uh, this first break. Um, because I want to talk about a couple of things. Um, there are two things I'm struck by in the world I live in. And, you know, I've been around this planet, you know, longer than most people. So I go back 50 years, 50 years ago. And I remember 50 years ago, what was I doing the summer of 69, right? And I want to tell you, this is what I was doing. So like everybody's like calls me Dr. Pat now, but you know, when I was, that, that's like a new thing for me. That, that didn't happen overnight. But he, here's what I was doing 50 years ago. I was marching in protest march. I was going to Woodstock. I was, you know, protesting at the riots down in Stonewall. Um, I, we were looking at a time that we lived in and asking ourselves about justice and asking ourselves about law and asking ourselves about rights. 50 years later, hmm. we are still asking, but we are not protesting. And I've got to ask this question because as I read the book, here's what I'm struck by. Story after story, legend after legend. There is this rising up, right? Some people like to call it good versus evil. I don't really relate to that a whole lot, but there's this rising up. We're living at a time where greed isn't something in the Wall Street movie. It, it's watching a stock market even if you don't have stock. So let me ask you this question. What is it that you can reference into the stories in the book, the chapters in the book, that could perhaps shed some insight into the next calling evolution revolution of our time today? Well, I think that the, um, you know, the, the key to the door of all the questions is the grail question. And of course, the grail question, which is traditionally given as whom does the grail serve? Mm. Um, is actually the question that we ask whenever we're confronted with something that we don't understand and we know instinctively is wrong or that something uh, is messed up in our world and that there is some means of, um, of securing uh, a better way of doing things and of uh, replacing oppression with justice and so on. Uh, and I think that in every era that people ask the question, why are things like this? Why is this still going on? Mm. Uh, and those are the questions that rise up in us. Uh, and of course, the people in whom they rise up first are usually the young people. The older people have their turn when they're young to ask that question. But it's the young people who ask that question. And they're the ones that you always see um, on the forefront of all the activism. Um, I have a friend who's um, very much involved with environmental activism, and she's now considered to be um, an elder activist because she's um, over 50 now. <laughs> <laughs> so she doesn't do things like chaining herself to railings and so on any longer or, you know, hanging out right. over or any of those kinds of things. But council for the people who, who are doing those things. And she's the one who goes to the police station to pick them up afterwards and give them a cup of tea and a sandwich and ask them to just you know talk about their experiences so they can just vent. Um, so I think that you know we're all involved in lots of different ways in, in how we can change things. 
But we can only do that if we first ask the question, because if we don't ask the question, things just go on happening. And, and if I can add to that, I'd say that the, the really important thing, too, is, is the search for knowledge. Uh, I mean, you know, 50 years ago, I was in a library somewhere learning. I know mm. I was. I was actually in the British Museum Library in London studying manuscripts, um, you know, in, in my 20s, you know, thinking, yes, this is what is important here is to look at these things and see how they apply to the present. And that's the approach both of us have always brought to these things. You know, we've always looked at how, how do, what do they mean for us now? Which I think is, is what you asked earlier, you know, yeah. and I think that it's, it's this, this continued search for knowledge and the need for that because so much, I mean, there, there are terrible things happening in the world at the moment. As we know, we don't even need to list them. We all know right. them immediately. Right. Um, so much of it is caused by ignorance. Yes, greed is a huge part too. You're right. Absolutely about, you know, I love that saying, watching, you know, stocks and shares without having any. Um, you know, but it's also, it is about greed, yes, but it's also about ignorance about not knowing what the better possibilities are. And that's where stories like this come in, where the myths teach us, because the myths are timeless. And they come from, from a very, very deep place, not just in time and space, but a very diff, deep place in the human spirit and the human consciousness. And that is what makes them so powerful, I think. Yeah. Look, here's what I'd like to do. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about trends and trailings. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of the stories in this. This is an incredible book. But one of the things we're going to talk about is, as they, uh, as you all both mentioned in the book, you call it, in one case, the land of women. The land of women. Now, that is important for a lot of reasons. When we come back, we're going to be talking with uh, about what are these ideas now that are so old, so related to the grilled, that have become so relevant today? How are we seeing this in the transformation of governments, in the transformation in the world? How are we seeing this in our pop culture here in the United States? Not only in the United States, but what do we mean by when we say the land of the women? And what does the land of the women mean for contemporary society? But before we do that, please tell folks how they can get a copy of your book and how they can find out about, about what you all are up to, because you're like having so much fun. Uh, well, uh, you can get the book, hopefully, from, as they say, any good bookstore uh, or online from all the usual places. Uh, you can get it from us, and you can also... Uh, find out what we're doing, other publications we have, workshops that we're doing uh, in various parts of the world uh, by going to our website, which is HalloQuest, that's H-A-L-L-O-W-Q-U-E-S-T dot org dot UK. And there you'll find information about everything we're doing and where to get our books. Okay, and for those of you out there, look, we've got two more copies of the book to give away and we're just warming up. We're going to have so much fun so much fun. We'll be right back. To see your life from an angel's perspective, book a personal consultation with Claire Candy Hoff, angelic walk-in angel Ariel at Angel Healing House. Candy provides intuitive counseling, Reiki, and angel readings in person in Los Angeles or nationally and internationally via phone or Skype. 
she will channel the practical tools you need to transform your life. Call now, 831-277-3716 or visit angelhealinghouse.com. It's time to step into the power of yes. Creating the life you want is up to you. The power comes from saying yes to ourselves, yes to possibilities, and yes to change. Are you ready? Start achieving your goals and moving life in the direction you want. Tune in each month to Yes Minded Power Radio with Barbara Scheidegger to start living your future now. For more information about the show and working with Barbara, visit YesMindedPower.com. A word of caution, if you prefer the status quo and you are not interested in improving every aspect of your life, this book will trigger the shift out of you. The Truth is Funny, Shift Happens is available now. Author Colette Steffen brings the powerful knowledge and life-changing energy and empowerment from the radio airwaves to the pages of her new book. To get your copy in paperback or ebook, visit thetruthisfunny.com today. Are you ready to shift your current beliefs about death? From debilitating pain and loss? Follow Angie Corbett Kuiper as she shares that through choice, present moment awareness, and keeping an open mind that anything is possible, even in death. Tune in to Beyond Proof Radio with Angie, redefining death and loss every first and third Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more, visit BeyondProof.com. The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. The Lost Book of the Grail. You know, I'm so, look, uh, Kathleen and John Matthews joining me here today for a lot of reasons. One, we are talking about the book, but more importantly, we're talking about their dedication and commitment and their dedication and commitment to storytelling and beyond. And what I mean by that is being able to unveil, unravel, right, and understand not just the storytelling, the mythos of this, but to really connect energetically with where we are in those stories and where we are today in the world. And before we talk about things like the land of women, what I'd love to do is please tell folks again how they can get a copy of the book and also please um, how they can find out about you. Uh, sure. Yes. Well, um, the book should be available in all good bookstores in that wonderful phrase um, or from the usual online sources. Um, if you want to learn more about what we're doing, 
the best way is to go to our website, which is called HalloQuest, which is another way of saying the Grail Quest, really. Anyway, it's HalloQuest, H-A-L-L-O-W-Q-U-E-S-T dot org dot UK. And there you'll find all about our other publications, workshops that we're running in various parts of the world, uh, and, you know, what we're up to generally. Perfect. Um Benny, let's give another copy of the book away. 1-800-930-2819. 1-800-930-2819. I want to talk about a couple of things, but I want to talk about the reference to, uh, in the book, and and actually the absolutely honoring of this term, uh, the land of women. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even though that sounds like that is like an ancient term, we could certainly use that like uh, today. Um, why was this so? Why was this such a critical point in in the stories in the book? Um, I think that you know the, the land of women, of course, you know, is Tiernanar, which is the land of women in in Ireland. Um, it was believed on in the shores of Northwest Europe that over the seas in mysterious islands lay enclaves of, of women who were of course fairy women they weren't human women mm -hmm. uh, and that um, voyagers and travelers would would go to those islands in order to uh, learn particular kinds of wisdom and to gain insight into things that they couldn't find out from their own everyday world and so there's a sort of this there's two things going obviously the travelers who go to the land of women are nearly always men um, in the medieval stories, because of course, you know, they all live in the medieval times in this incredibly um, uh, male-oriented world, and so to find that deeper wisdom, they they have to they have to go overseas and 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 gather the wisdom of the land of fairy in order to uh, discover some of these things, and to also I think go from their own world out of time um, into this timeless realm. Uh, where they can consider things differently. So I think we have that that's going on on one level. And then on another level, um, um, you can say, well, how? How come this land of women? What, why is it a land of women? And, and, and many um, writers and people I've spoken to have sort of said, oh, well, this is just a male fantasy, you understand. And of course, <laughs> I don't believe this. I think this is, this is not the case because these enclaves of women are, of course, women of inspiration. They are like the muses. Um, they're like the, uh, the nine maidens who blow the cauldron into flame and cook the food inside it. They're the ones who apply the inspiration to the ideas that we get that come from the other world. Uh, and so, of course, yes, of course we need Congress here. We, we need to have um, our deep minds and hearts involved with this world because uh, we need to sort of wake up the things that are not working in our world and bring back some, some wisdom that can be applied through the gifts and skills that we have, and um, because we're inspired. Um, so, I want to I talk to you about this for a minute. When we talk about this in today's day and age, and this is a question I want to ask you about because you have so much knowledge about this. Folks talk about this, women, land of women, women coming together in contemporary time as if it's a new thing. And then I read your book, right? And, and uh, how do we help folks understand that women coming together may or may not be new, right? 
Oh, absolutely. I think women have always come together. And yeah. um, um, we all know that if you want to get something done, you ask a bunch of women. <laughs> uh, whether you're putting on a picnic, you know, for the community or whatever it is you're doing, uh, or a church bake, you know, um, whatever it is that needs to be put together, women can put it together. And they do it without squabbling which I think is very important because, you know, we, that's how we get things done. Um, it's by working with consensus. Um, and that consensus automatically arrives when you have a group of women who are well-tuned to each other. Uh, and it's what we need in the world now. Uh, whenever you, you know, we're always reading about situations that have become becoming warlike through very aggressive um, um, you know, actions or through particular talks when people are supposed to sit down peaceably. Um, but actually, that, that doesn't normally happen when women sit down together. Um, they normally come to a very quickly, uh, quickly to a consensus where things can be organized and worked out without the need to throw brickbats at each other. Yeah. Uh, is this, uh, I, I, I want to ask you, John, mm. uh, are we ready? Are we ready for this level of the land of women, so to speak? I think so. I think we've always been ready for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'd like to add one thing particularly, sure. is that in one of the stories, several of the stories, actually, the first person to find the grail is a woman. Now, she gets mm -hmm. forgotten a lot in the stories because she's the sister of Sir Percival, one of the three successful grail seekers. And her name is Dindrain. And she is the first one. She has a vision of the Grail before any of the men do, before the Grail appears at Camelot. And she goes in search of it because her heart tells her to, because the spirit moves her to. And I think that's a very important thing. Women are, are just naturally more connected, I think, to the spiritual realms. I don't know whether Kathleen would agree with me on that or not, but I think that there is a tendency to, uh, to, to for women to be able to reach that point of stillness, that point of connection with the spiritual realms that sometimes we don't have as men because we're, we're more impatient, we're always moving, always trying to make something happen. So yeah, I think we're more than ready for, uh, you know, for more emphasis on the importance of the feminine. And it's very interesting too that the, uh, when the knights do go on quest, um, that they, they kind of get their heads down and you know, keep going. Um, but they get interrupted serially again and again by different maidens who come along and say, there, you see, you didn't do that right. Or now you need to go and rescue this person. Or now you need to go and do this other thing. So they're always coming along and sort of um, chivying and encouraging and sometimes telling the knights off for not getting on with the quest. So uh, it's very interesting that, that they have that role. Uh, in the Arthurian legend, which, of course, you know, we, we don't get yeah. to see a lot of. Well, the Arthurian stories are full of women appearing to challenge the knights. Mm. Yeah. And these, of course, are the same fairy women, in some cases, that we write about in this book. Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing that I love about what you said is, unless we read your book, we don't get the perspective that you're laying out here. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, the waiting of the, the, the maidens of the wells and fairy accord, whether it's that or what we're talking about, we don't get this story told. And so when I think about this and I think about the way that you've presented this, you know, this is more than just a story of 
excellence and inspiration and and tragedy and riches and success. This is historical energy about what's possible when both men and women come together mm. to create a better world. And I want to ask you uh, both, uh, each of you, in today's world we live in, whether we're talking about the land of the women or we're talking about storytellers or we're talking about causes and consequences of the wasteland, I'd like to ask each of you, what's one of the most important messages, takeaways, whatever you want to call it, from the book, from what you found for today's world? Who would like to go first? Kathleen, you want to go first? <laughs> there are so many. Um, there you really can have are. more than one. Okay, you can do I, more I, than one. I think that, you know, that you're absolutely right in that the um, uh, it, it's the coming together of human beings um, it, that is important. And, of course, that this is... Um, I think we've had a lot of books written about the Grail, which were about the psychology of the Grail and the psychology of the hero's quest and all this. But actually, you know, this is a collective quest that we're all on and where it's not for special people. Um, the text says that all the time. Um, it's, this is going to be taught to all the people. Um, and I think this is one of the most important things is that when we come together, when we feel and consider and understand with the hearts and bowels of our ancestors, with that very deep um, belonging um, to the earth, we understand and see things in a true and proper way. When we go into that individual, oh, this is all for me um, department, that, that doesn't work. Um, and that's not what this quest is about. It's about how we come together how we cure the ills of the earth by asking the right questions and taking the right action. I'd agree with that, absolutely. Uh, and I would say that for me, uh, if I wanted to pick on one thing particularly that I'd like people to come away with is the feeling that, you know, nothing is beyond our reach. The grail is not something, uh, you know, for some reserved being. It's not for one of the, it's not for the bravest knight or the bravest woman it's for everybody to seek. It was always there for that reason. And that idea of continuing the search, not giving up, uh, no matter how bad things seem to be, you know, we can look around us at the moment and, and you know, the world is not looking very good in some ways. Um, but if we keep going, if we keep thinking that it will get better, that we can help it get better, then we'll have achieved something remarkable. I mean, this is a... Perhaps it's a very obvious thing to say, but I still think that is the root of the Grail story, is that it's there to be sought, that it's a source of wisdom, knowledge, and healing, um, not just for the land, but for individuals as well, and that all of us can reach it if we need to. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm really struck by that. I'm really struck by, you know, several things. One, um, I'm struck by the quest. I'm struck by that word in more ways than one. But what I really love about the way you've presented this and presented the, an understanding is from each piece of this, as I was reading it, you know, there was sort of the blending, you know, whether it be Christianity, Islam, Judaism, whatever that is, 
you know, there, there's this understanding and explanation, right? Um, but also is looking at uh, the myth, right? Uh, even the myth of stealing the fruit from the tree, right? As the knowledge of good and evil. evil it's like the myths, I think you talk about Greece, uh, Prometheus of North America. And what I'm struck by is how we are now so relating to some of these myths that people don't want to call them a myth, they call them legends, right? I mean, mm -hmm. even so much so, the, well, I've, I've got to get this right. I don't think it was the last sort of alien movie, but it was the one before was called Prometheus. And mm -hmm. so uh, what are we trying, what are we trying to portray? What, what are we trying to send out there in terms of messaging uh, that I believe comes from this ancient wisdom. Hmm. Well, can I can I refer it perhaps to an, one of the great modern myths of our time, which is the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the things that he emphasizes in his books are very much the same kind of things that we're writing about here. Um, he talks about, you know, the darkness that can so easily overcome us. He talks about the corruption of once good people into bad people. And he talks about, above all, about the ordinary person, the hobbits, the small people that everyone overlooks are the heroes of that book, much more than the elves or the great kings and queens and lords and ladies. And I think the same is true in many of the Arthurian stories where someone like Percival, for instance, who is an innocent, rather foolish young man who doesn't really know anything <laughs> um, accidentally stumbles on this mystery, on this extraordinary quest, and becomes part of it. And and in the end, indeed, is one of those who is is granted the vision, the gift of the Grail, because the Grail isn't really. It's not an object for me anyway. Mm -hmm, I don't think right. of it being something that, like I mentioned earlier, that you can mm -hmm. go to a museum and look at one of these extraordinary vessels and say that's the Grail. It's not. But if people believe it is, it becomes grail-like. Um, and I think it's because of that constant desire to identify, to discover more about something, to find the way to the truth of it, that is what partly makes us human. Yes, yeah. the grail has um, many appearances and many people perceive it in different ways. but. When it comes down to it, it's what it does, is what is important. Mm. And, and as our good friend R.J. Stewart once said, um, if it does not regenerate, it is not the grail, um, because that's what the grail does. It regenerates things. Um, in the story, it brings back the wasteland to fertility again. It brings back the population in a place that's become depopulated because of the wasteland. Um, it, it orders things again and it, it offers us a new chance. And I think it's that new chance uh, that we're always um, going to try and hop onto, however it's presented to us. Um, and I know that we talk in our, in our language sort of um, very easily about, oh, it's the holy grail of science or whatever. Um, but actually, what for each of us is the Holy Grail is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that may be something that we wouldn't necessarily recognize as a Grail from an Arthurian perspective. But for each of us, the, the vision of what makes things whole, 
what regenerates things, what gives us a new chance, what brings the deep healing to those places that are just aching for relief. That for us is always the grail. Yeah. You know what I love about it? You know, I keep referring to it, and I don't know if you picked up on this throughout the show, as an energy. Oh. You know, energy, energy field. Um, but there's an energy that really awakens a call to action, right? An energy yes. that awakens a call to yes. action. Um, I love I love that you shared about Percival because there's always a fascination I've had about that. And the fascination is, you know, does Percival actually represent the epitome of awareness or was Percival just lucky? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm not even sure there's an answer. It's nice that there are these two grail winners, isn't it? Because there's Percival, yeah. this incredibly uh, bumbling about, um, you know, he takes his mother's advice to do all sorts of things in the wrong kind of way um, uh, and insults and upsets people and forgets to ask the question. And then there's Sagawain, who's the other grail winner whom we hear about in the story, uh, who is a much more sophisticated character who's quite interested in the ladies. Um, and he's very much attuned to that fairy world. And so he has slightly more awareness. And between them, they manage to sort of field the whole grail quest, you know, in this story uh, and bring it, uh, bring it to a point where we have the healing of the wasteland. So we've got a few minutes left. I want to make sure that folks, again, have information, how they can get a copy of the book, also information about each of you. And uh, I want to make sure that, Benny, we have uh, given out three copies of the book uh, for that as well. But let's just make sure folks have information uh, as to how they can get a copy of the book, but also how they can find out more about hey, so all of the things we're not able to talk about today in the hour. There's so many. Indeed. So The Lost Book of the Grail, which is subtitled The Sevenfold Path of the Grail and the Restoration of the Fairy Accord, uh, is available from all good bookshops. Uh, you can find it also online from all the usual sources. And if you want to find out more about us and our work, then please go to www.halloquest.org.uk, which is spelt H-A-L-L-O-W-Q-U-E-S-T dot org.uk so that's www.holoquest.org.uk awesome um couple of things i want to ask you and i know we've got a few minutes left uh is that I, you know what i'm really struck by is as i really tried to and attempt to take in everything in here it's it's this is a book that you really have to go back to a couple of times because, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's so much in it. But one of the things that I was really struck by is when I was reading about the rich company mm. and I was reading um, some of what was written about this. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Because I think for me, as I was reading about it, I had two perspectives. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think that I fully understood. Yes. Because I was so caught up in the contemporary version in my head about yes. this. <laughs> So I think we you know we have this um, we have this story where 
uh, Amangons um, stops the, the hospitality of the wells from happening. Uh, but later on in the story, uh, another lot of people come out of the wells, but they're not the maidens of the wells. They're, they're these kind of brash, aggressive people called the Proud Company. And it's like they're kind of venture capitalists who come out of the <laughs> wells who want to build fantastic castles and big bridges. And they want to own all the capital wealth of the land and really have everyone serve, serve them. Um, and, and so these are just so incredibly like any kind of out of control corporate types that we know from our own time. But of course, they are they are also the children of the Mangons and the Maidens of the Wells. But they're they're not the nice company that the round table knights find. Uh, they're this group of really aggressive people who set themselves up against the round table and they call themselves the peers of the rich company. So they have a they have a separate club. They have their own kind of um, uh, knighthood and chivalry. And it's not the kind of knighthood and chivalry that you or I would like to be on the receiving end of. Um, because, you know, they're, they're people who have absolutely no restraint, no humanity and no compassion. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Boy, we could do a whole show on that right there. <laughs> what I'm thinking about, you know, this is for our time, isn't it? It, it is. A, that, that's really what I what I really am alluding to is it's a myth for our time and a time yet to come because mm. there is so much. Uh, in the the story in the lost book of the grail is about a time yet to come and what i mean by that is we haven't yet seen some of the things that emerge in the myth and the story they are yet to come and yeah. i believe they will come right what, and and i'd like to ask each of you this I, I know that's a big statement to make i'm not predicting but but I could see the pattern of this. And I'd like to ask you each one last question and thank you for today. Uh, and for those of you out there, I have another copy of the book to give away. 1-800-930-2819. What's your personal message? What would each of you like to leave us with today? So I think that the lost, the lost book of the grail um, gives us a myth which we can all recognize. Uh, that of the, the beautiful earth that we inhabit and how we can spoil it and also how we can restore relations with all the beings that live on the earth once again. But we, we don't do it by becoming members of the proud company. Uh, we don't go out there and um, take the patents on all the plants in the world. Um, I just today heard on the radio, someone was talking about this and they said, of course, the chemists can't actually patent water. And I thought to myself, oh, God, just don't say that. Just don't. <laughs> no, because I, this horrible ability to, to do exactly what we're not allowed to do is one of our great characteristics of, of humanity, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That can yeah. just, um, just go straight there. So let's please be part of the greater world and be aware of the commonwealth of all beings because that's that's really what this myth is about the very mm. wow thank you thank you thank you john real quick what do you want to leave us with i would just say keep looking because the grill's out there oh boy i got that covered yep that's what the show's all about everybody let's take a short break we'll be right back the preceding audio was via a skype call